If you could go back to the Civil War era, who would you want to meet? What would you ask him or her? We'll put Catherine Clinton in the Civil War time machine when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Have you let your website go stale? Wish you didn't have to wait for your web developer to return your call when you want to update content? You don't have to. Now you can easily and instantly manage your own website content using affordable Avalar technology. Avalar is a website development and hosting company that provides turnkey internet solutions for companies like yours that need to stay focused on core business. Avalar gives you the power to control your website and make updates and additions in real time without having to learn HTML or other complicated programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R. Vitality is a natural expression of health, success, and fulfillment. And yet it's rare to meet people bubbling with vitality. That's because most of us push ourselves too hard. And when we trigger the internal alarms that tell us to change our diets, attitudes, or activities, we ignore them. Allowing outside pressures to override our internal alarms undermines our health, sabotages our success, and limits our potential. If you're ready to reclaim your natural vitality, to begin living a life you love, visit thevitalyou.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and our guest today is Catherine Clinton, author of the biography of Harriet Tubman and numerous other works in the Civil War era. Uh, we were talking about how uh, children are becoming or can become interested in history through the various media, uh, through movies, through uh, uh, television, and also through books uh, that people like you write for them. Uh, I would also add to that list perhaps uh, museums and battlefields. And, uh, Absolutely. I think historical tourism and the sophistication of heritage tourism is a real boom and a wonderful new part of our of our enterprise. I mean, I, I lead a Smithsonian study tour every year, and I'm involved in some private ventures to lead people on historical pilgrimages, and I think it's really um, exciting. The opening of the Lincoln Library and Museum this April in Springfield, I hope, will really start a big boom of um, of Land of Lincoln tours and studies. I, I, I would agree. I've uh, been able to do a little of that myself, and it's really a great way to see parts of the country and to right. have the chance to talk history with uh, interested people who share your interests. It's a great, sure. great thing to do. Now, you've written about people we've all heard of, like Mary Lincoln uh, or Harriet Tubman. You've also written about some who are not so well-known, uh, Fanny Kemble, for example. 
Right, although people claimed she was the most famous 19th century American you've never heard of, because in her own era, she was she was quite famous. There was no one, uh, no better-known actress. When she hit American shores, I'd say the only modern comparable um, collision was when um, Princess Diana came over here and sort of swept everyone into a hysteria. So really, it has to do with, we talked about evidence and records. There weren't any film crews to capture Fanny Kimball, so we've forgotten about her. So, so tell us a little more about her. She was an actress who came to America before the Civil War. Right. She came over um, the most, she was the the daughter of Charles Kemble, the niece of uh, Sarah Siddons, the most fa- famous actress of her generation. She came over here for one reason only, to make money because her family fortunes were failing. Her father had bought Covent Garden. It was a white elephant, and they needed to have a cash infusion. And touring the colonies was seen as the best way. And she was such a sensation that professors at Harvard would have to cancel their seminars because their students would desert them on days when Fanny Kemble was playing. So she was going up and down the East Coast winning accolades, and she also happened to win the heart of a great... um, the son of a great slaveholding family in Georgia, Pierce Butler. He was born Pierce. Uh, he was born Butler Mays, and he had to change his name to inherit from his grandfather, who was the second largest slaveholder in Georgia. They married, and it was a very tempestuous, stormy marriage. And in my book, I talk about really the divisions between anti-slavery and pro-slavery, and how that, in some way, really infused their relationship and broke their marriage apart. And she ended up going back to England, but returning to try and save her name and get custody of her children, which she lost. And during the Civil War, she was willing to publish a journal that she had kept for one of her close friends who was an abolitionist while she was down in the Sea Islands. And her journal of residence on a Georgia plantation, I think, is one of the most powerful documents of anti-slavery in our 19th century documentation of slavery and so she's an important figure just to contextualize it another step theater was much more important as uh, an entertainment medium in in the era before movies and american and british theater were were sharply divided so they have uh the 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 astor plates riot sure uh, when when an english actor tried to, I I believe it was Hamlet he was trying to play. So there was great rivalry and great intense spirited battles over theater, and theater was much more political than we, uh, I mean, Fanny Kemble herself was uh, on stage in her mother's womb during what was called the Old Price Riots, and that was when the theater burnt down and was built back up and they raised the prices, because it was a form of popular entertainment that all could consume it, although Fanny Kemble tells the story of blacks coming up to her and trying to get tickets and her not realizing that they would have to sit in um, segregated separate tiers and so she was unaware of the racial as well as the class distinctions that went on in American theater. Now a question I frequently ask people uh, in our talks here is if you could go back to to some point in history and talk with one character for an hour uh, over a cup of tea or coffee uh, who would it be? Would it be uh, well, someone well-known like, like uh, Tubman or Lincoln or uh, someone less familiar to us like Fanny Kemble? Well, I think I'd have to say that um, 
we all are sort of, I mean, the people who I would love to talk to would be the people who I remember I encountered as earliest um, awakening my sense of history. And I have to say that the diaries, and Kemble was a diary that really stirred me, but I've spent 20 years working on her. So it's not as if I don't want to spend another hour with her. I always <laughs> enjoy it. Um, I just recently viewed a play in New York called Unbound, all about her life. But I would say that um, I would just really be fascinated to go and talk with someone like Harriet Jacobs, who is another character who wrote Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl and had really one of the most fascinating experiences as an enslaved woman, that she hid herself away so that she could keep in contact with her children and lived in an attic for seven years. And then she escaped north and had a great struggle to secure her own freedom and that of her children and then wrote down her story and published it the year the Civil War broke out. So I guess I'd have to say Harriet Jacobs is really someone who I just think had such a remarkable life. Um, maybe she was the first Harriet I encountered, so she was someone who I would love to know more about, although I can congratulate uh, my friend Jean Yellen, who's just published a prize-winning biography of her, Harriet Jacobs' Life. And uh, we, we, I really feel the people who lived not ordinary lives, but how did this slave woman know to negotiate such dangerous shoals and how did she have the bravery to put down such raw honest amazing stories that was the story of her life so she's someone who i greatly admire and i'd like to know more about well that would be an interesting conversation. on the other hand i'd like to know about mary boykin chestnut because her diary also interested me and the one thing about harriet jacobs and mary boykin chestnut that interests me are they both wrote diaries and when i was an undergraduate i was told they were both fake diaries that's right that's and now they've been in many ways um in many ways um redeemed and they're now classics of our time and i'm working on a new edition um for penguin of mary boykin chestnut's diary from dixie so she's someone i'd like to wrestle into a conversation although i doubt if i'd get a straight answer that's, that well, would be my response to her let, let me talk shop with you since i i was teaching uh, something from that this morning great uh, her diary uh, a diary from dixie is one of the classics of civil war writing from the 1905 or 1909 edition right uh, and then edited by work. edited by murda lockett avery uh, who, who just fascinates me and isabella martin so they did the original posthumous edition then it came out again in the 40s, I believe. Right. And then, uh, then in. Well, it was edited to the extent that I would call it rewriting by yeah. Ben Ames Williams. I mean, if we, if we edited that today, we'd be, uh, well, I'd like to think we'd be thrown out of graduate school, but actually, uh, a lot of what. Actually, apparently you can get away with a lot these days, yes. Um, we won't go into historians in trouble, but for those of you interested, John Weiner has a new book that I think gives us really good insight into uh, into the uh, the roses and the thorns of editing. Yeah. There, there's Peter Hoffer, I think, also has a book on... Right, Past and Perfect. So. Problems. Uh, well, then C. Van Woodward, of course, did the uh, monumental work. He did do an edition, uh, Mary Chestnut's Civil War, and he did use um, special lighting to try and uncover the actual text she wrote as opposed to what she rewrote. But Woodward did confess 
in his final edition that he often corrected the prose in the way in which he felt Chestnut herself would have corrected it. Which gets us back to spiritualism and <laughs> yes, uh, the, the reading the minds of uh, well, perhaps he spent a long enough time with Mary Chestnut that he knew what she what she would have wanted done. That, I, now he he published uh, Mary Chestnut's Civil War, then another book called The Real Mary Chestnut, and I have to admit I recall being confused at that point as to where this all stood. Will your edition clear this up? Will this be well, I am writing um, an afterword called The Strange Career. Of Mary Chestnut's diary, and by the time I finish it, I hope I will have it all straightened out so that we can know um, that what what we're reading in some ways um, is everyone's reading into Mary Chestnut. But I think it's fair to say she read into her own life. I mean, she would not have published what was her verbatim. Uh, journal kept at the time, but she would have published her diary, which was her amended memoir. And that's what I think people have been channeling uh, successfully for over 100 years. But that's because her insights and her text come through from A Diary to Dixie to Mary Chestnut's Civil War. We get her voice, and she was one of the most insightful um, and biting of observers of the Civil War. That, that's, uh, well, that, that's, I think, beyond argument. Uh, one cannot go wrong reading her work uh, to get a sense of what uh, what was happening at one level of the Confederate home front. Sure. And definitely something uh, that we all look forward to hearing hearing her voice again in perhaps a, a clarified form. Now, your your first work, you pointed out, was The Plantation Mistress, your first uh, publication. Major That's publication. right. So, again, we're sort of coming full circle here. Over 20 years ago. Yes. It'll be uh, coming up on 25. <laughs> It goes by quickly. Uh, the 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 image of the plantation mistress of, uh, of the O'Hara family at, at, at Tara. Uh, how consciously was this created by people who lived that life? Well, at the time, I think there was a sense of a platter uh, a planter consciousness, and that was what you were supposed to project. And and Southern ladyhood was an image. White Southern women who wanted to aspire to ladyhood had certain dictates that they had to follow. And appearance was all. I mean, sometimes we have this phrase, appearances are deceiving. But deception was really the invention of Southern ladyhood. You must appear in a certain way. On the plantation, women were expected to manage. Women were expected to be in charge of their slaves' welfare. They had to take care of their food, clothing, um, they were allegedly supposed to teach them Christian education. They were within the realm. They had very industrious, very, very uh, routinized, and almost in many ways uh, drudgery to do as plantation mistresses. But the image was the opposite. They were supposed to project images of indolence and leisure, that that was the great symbol of the planter class. And I think that it's something that uh, perhaps um, has clung with um, Southern stereotypes well into the 21st century. So while they're, in fact, managing these plantations that are essentially villages... Essentially small uh, factories. 
And, and they are the, the uh, chief operating officer. That's right. Uh, yet they project the image of, of leisure, of idleness. Right. Uh, that would be a challenge indeed. Well, I would love to hear more about this. Uh, I urge our listeners to read the many books of Catherine Clinton. Uh, we look forward to new things in the future. And I thank you for joining us today on Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you so much. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio.